this week I was um, thinking all week long about speaking on the art of the overcomer, and that was what I had in my mind and had the whole message. And this morning, believe it or not, this morning I woke up and God gave me this entirely different message. I actually was late getting here for worship practice because we had an entirely different message that God gave me to kind of speak on. So maybe next week I'll do the art of the overcomer, um, kind of teaching you the art of how to tap into what God says about us being an overcomer. But today I want to I want to give you a different message that I think is super important for us to understand and realize as a church and individually. I think it's going to help you with you, and it's going to help you with everyone else, which is a good message um, to, to hear this morning. It's called, Give Me Some Space. Anybody ever been in a relationship with somebody who said, I just need you to give me some space? That's like the new way to break up with someone, right? It's like, give me some space. You're like, how much? A lot. Like, galaxies of space. They never... Next time someone says, give me some space, which hopefully won't be anytime soon, I'll just be like, how much? Right? Give me. Anybody ever said that before or had someone say that to you? You knew it was done. Well, that's not what I'm talking about today. Tell this message is give me some space. And I want to, want to kind of set this up because we oftentimes in church give people, we expect them to have a point in time, a moment where their hearts and minds are changed. And I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen for people. Now, the, the working out and the carrying out of that moment and how they work out their salvation with that moment is uh, definitely uh, takes time. But I've seen these, these moments, these points of reference in time where people's lives are changed. Their minds are altered. Their hearts are softened. Their, their, the way they see themselves, the way they see the world, the way they see God has changed. But... Honestly, more often than that, I see people, if they allow themselves to go through the process, they change their hearts, they change their minds over time. So when you talk to them in a year, they're different. They've acquired some maturity in their understanding of the world and God. They have developed some, maybe some answers or at least some ideas of answers about things that they once didn't quite understand. Their understanding, their wisdom increases throughout time. And with it, their minds and hearts begin to change. In the modern church, we don't have a lot of space for that. We don't really have like that we don't give people the time to go through a process. We want this conversion. We want this moment. And we want to tell them that from here on forward, you know, you're just going to have joy every morning and everything's going to be perfect and wonderful. When there's so much more to acquire in the understanding of who God is. I would say, I don't want to speak for my mom and dad, or my uncle, all three of them have probably gone through a very similar timeline. But I would say they've learned more about God in the last five years than they did in the previous 50 years. You'd say, well, after, you know, 30 years of serving God, wouldn't they get to a point where they'd say, I understand my mind has been made up and I'm good. 
have arrived at a fixed proposition, a, a constitutional idea that I can't be moved from? No. The process of our faith is just that. It's a process. It takes time. It takes space. It takes some room. It's why real strong, fear-based, hell-based theologies, theologies that focus around you better love God or this is going to happen, will never be what this church is about. Because the idea of entering into relationship because you're afraid of what happens if you don't is not a relationship. It's a robbery. It's a gun to the back of the head saying, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to pull the trigger. And in this case, the trigger is hell. It's not real relationship. So, so we, we, we have this, uh, I, I wrote it down a little bit differently. I'll get to that in a moment. Maybe I'll get to it right now, but um, let's see here. Uh, the burden that we've put on whether or not we experience eternal paradise or eternal torture is believing the right thing. So when, when the idea of, if you don't believe the right thing right now, and God pulls the trigger, you're going to hell. So you better know what you need to know right now. But the reality is in this room, nobody knows everything they need to know. And it will scare the you-know-what out of you to ever venture into opening your heart to more understanding, more knowledge, more wisdom, because what if between admitting, maybe I don't have it completely right, and getting this idea right over here, God calls me home. So we have to lock in. Does this make sense? It's like, we gotta lock it in. It's like locking your answers in three, two, one. It's like, I just need to, my, my daughter Lainey was taking her um, FCATs or whatever they are. No, there's called something else now. That was when I was a kid, whatever they are. They're, 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 um, they're at the, their, their measurement tests from the state, whatever. And she said, dad, taking my math one, do you have any idea? I said, whatever you do, don't leave any answers blank. So if you have, you know, two minutes left and you're, you didn't finish the test and you have 10 questions and you know you're not going to be able to answer the 10 of them and they're multiple choice, just put some answers in there because you're going to get at least a couple of them right. But that's kind of the way we feel. The whole like, nobody knows the time or the moment when he's coming back. I better fill out these answers fast. I, there's like, I understand like this much. There's like 80% I don't get, but I'm just going to make some stuff up. Or I'm just going to listen to the closest preacher that I like his voice or her voice and just believe everything they say. Because I don't have time. I need to get this right. What if God calls me home? No. In Revelation chapter two, which we don't have up there, he actually is talking about a woman who's caught in a terrible mistake. And he says, I gave her space to repent. 
Other versions say, I gave her time to repent. See, repent simply means to change your mind. He says, I gave her space and time to change her mind. I knew that when she was confronted with the wrong idea, that it might take some time. God's essentially saying, I, I, I understand that with our human minds, sometimes it takes time to get to the next understanding or answer or whatever you want to call it, principle. Um, in uh, the story of, you know, like some people in this room, we've been developing some bad wirings in our brain for 30 years. Amen. You're not going to come to the altar, say a prayer, and those 30 years of wirings are just done. I've seen it happen for some people, but the majority of us, we wake up the next morning going, I kind of feel happy about what I did yesterday, but I kind of still feel a lot of the last 30 years of my life beating me up. Come on, when the, when the guy comes to collect the 50 grand in debt you ran up, you don't say to him, but I received Jesus on a Sunday morning and I have a new life. I mean, try it, <laughs> right? We've racked up some stuff that we now need to, begin to process through. And yes, he's there to help us and guide us, but there's some unlearning or some relearning or some rewiring that has to happen. And God gives us the space and time to do it. So sometimes the greatest, most productive place you can be in in your life is the in-between space of saying, I don't know. I've had people come to me and say, I believe in God, but I have a real question about this. I don't say to them, but the Bible says, blah, blah, blah. How could you have a question about that? Well, let me tell you something. Let me real, can we get like real, 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 real here this morning? In 1978, a group of pastors gathered together in the city of Chicago to sign a declaration or a covenant amongst them, declaring that the word of God was inerrant. Inerrant means that what is written is what he means and that it is true and that it has never changed and will never change. Sounds great, right? Does everybody believe that the word of God is true? Everybody believe that he said what he meant? Yes, right? We do. The problem is, is that amongst these group of pastors, they don't even agree on what the Bible says. How do you sign a covenant saying we all agree that what the Bible says is what it says, but none of us agree on what it says. And since that point, the theology of inerrancy or the idea of inerrancy in the church has really destroyed a lot of people because when people had questions when they were in the in-between, we went, but the Bible says, boom. And I believe that God's saying, hold on, I know what I said, Give them some information, sure, but give them the time and space to begin to process and work out what they understand about God. Don't force feed and shove down their throat what you demand that they accept and sign on the bottom line right now. Because really at the end of the day, Ms. Charlene, all that comes from a place of saying, if they don't get this right here and right now, they're going to hell. Is this all right this morning? 
and I don't believe the way it's... Do you know that there's three, really three types of followers of Jesus? There is the close ones, the real close, you know, inner circle, the Johns, the closest of his disciples and followers, those that went everywhere and knew him well. Then there's the not so close ones, the ones that kind of show up here and there in different cities, the ones that follow Jesus around. And then you have like the really distant followers. One of those really distant kind of shady followers was this Sanhedrin fellow named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, the Bible records him meeting with Jesus three times in the dead of night. Like if we were sitting here today in service and I was like, you know, we were talking and I interviewed one of you and I was like, do you love the Lord? And you're like, nope. I'm like, do you declare publicly in front of everybody here that Jesus is your savior? Mm-mm. And the only connection you have was in the middle of the night when nobody was around, but you won't tell anybody about it. In modern day, we'd be like, that person is ashamed of the gospel and they don't belong. Having a connect, God has done this and this and this for them and they won't even say publicly. You know, everybody's on their Facebook wall saying like, you know, if you're not ashamed of Jesus, share this. I'm like, well, that's a terrible piece of art with a butterfly that's shooting rainbows out of its wings. I don't want to share it. It has nothing to do with the message. I'm ashamed of the art. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. If we get one more lion-unicorn combo with gold leaves, no. Fix the art, and then I'll share it and not be ashamed of the gospel, okay? You know, like, we would be like, that, that guy, that woman is not a believer. Nicodemus meets with Jesus. Check this out. He's like a barely barely, barely hanging on, knows who Jesus is, but is afraid of anyone amongst his Sanhedrin brethren to know that he actually is kind of inquisitive or thinking about Jesus. He's like really on the outside of the deal here. He meets with Jesus three times in the middle of the night. One of those times was found in John chapter three, and this is going to blow your mind. If it doesn't, it blew my mind, and maybe my mind is just more fragile. John chapter three, verse one, check this out. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. It's in the middle of the night in Judea, under the Judean moon, probably under a tree. You can see this guy dressed in robes, right? With Jesus, he's like, hey. This is probably a whisper conversation. This isn't him being like, no, come, rabbi, let me inquire of you. You know, in his robes, that's not what's going on here. It's like, hey, like, I know what I project out there to everybody else, but, you know, they all think I'm this, but I kind of got some questions for you. Like, I'm thinking maybe there's something about you that's legit. And so he says in verse three, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother womb, mother's womb and be born? Jesus answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
they go back and forth and back and forth, these questions, and Nicodemus is kind of, he seems really kind of dumb. He's not, he's educated, he's a, got some authority, he's in the higher class of society. He's having this conversation with Jesus back and forth, and I want to go to verse 14, if you can put that up there. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And are you ready for what Jesus says? Not to a mass of 10,000 people, not declared from the steps of a temple. What Jesus says to a guy that won't even be seen or talk about him in public underneath a tree in the middle of the night, Jesus says to one man, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. Boy, if you are sitting here today and you think that you or somebody else in your life doesn't deserve the gospel, you have another thing coming because in Christ, he will take, I mean, this is so beautiful. He takes the most important, iconic, recognizable scripture, John 3, 16, and he declares it and says it. He doesn't need to ever repeat himself to Nicodemus, the guy who won't be seen in public with him, who is a ruler of the Jews. I get goosebumps thinking about it underneath a tree in the middle of the night. He says, I want to tell you something that you need to know, Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten sin, whosoever um, believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. He's saying, Nicodemus, God gave me, not just for the people that follow me closely, not just for the people that kind of follow me around, but the ones who are even ashamed of me and won't be seen with me in public. God gave me as a sacrifice for them too. Listen, he met with him three times. Jesus never in any of them said, let me tell you about hell because this is the third time I've met with you, dude. And you just keep asking these dumb questions. And I'm telling you, you better believe in me or you're fixing to perish. Okay? Not everybody gets three meetings with Jesus in the middle of the night. I'm making an exception for you. I'm expecting some results here. So I'm going to draw a line here. This is going to be our altar. I'm going to get John back up here to play. Oh, come just as you are. Hear the spirit call. And Nicodemus, you need to let your spirit be called up here to have a conversation. Do you know where Nicodemus finally gets it? Check this out. Jesus meets with him. Jesus gives him the most iconic scripture that, I mean, what we base the, this is how we start with people when we want to walk them through salvation. Do you want to see that Nicodemus still didn't get it right while Jesus was alive? Jesus gets crucified. He's taken off of the cross. And in John chapter nine, I never saw this before, guys. That's why I changed my message because I'm impatient. Verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus also. 
He never got it right while Jesus was alive. It was only after he saw his body who earlier had come to Jesus by night came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. It wasn't in a moment. It was a, a grinding, gracious process. It was, a, it was space that was given by the divine for Nicodemus over time to get it right. The patience of God, the kindness of our Father to say, over time, I'm giving you some space to get it right. And I've written down some things I want to end with. Paul himself says, he says, God, have mercy on me, the chiefest of sinners. He says, Paul, Paul blasphemed. He killed his followers, killed the followers, but he actually thought he was doing it in the name of God. Even for the worst of the worst of the worst, God says, you know, he actually meant well. The guy was killing people. And God's like, he meant well. He thought he was doing it for me. And even with Paul, God says, I'm going to give you time and space to get it figured out. There is nobody in this room or nobody that you and I are connected to that God won't give the space and time to come to the understanding of who he is. Come on. And I really believe, I'm going to say this, this is why I said I want to talk about the church here. This is what the church is meant to be. We are meant to be a space, create a space for people to repent. We're here to make space and time for people to hear and over time change their minds, change their hearts. It's not always going to happen. It's going to rarely happen in an instant. But this church is a place where you can come, where we can come together. And over time, with the kindness and graciousness of God, he allows us to grind through that process of understanding. So if you're sitting here today and going, I don't think I really get it all, join the club. Here's where I promised you. It's why we're doing a Bible study to begin to fill yourself with knowledge, understanding. And then you take that and that becomes more fuel for your process. When we make people be so certain in a moment, the burden of that certainty at the end of the day, that, that fear that builds up, it's just a faulty idea that oftentimes just garners cheap applause. We had a thousand people commit their life today. Awesome, I believe in that. But then what? 
Do we have space for their mess? Do we have space and time for their process? Or was it just about a moment of cheap applause? Guys, there's 40,000 plus denominations in 500 years. 40,000 denominations in 500 years. Since the Protestant Reformation, Protestant denominations, every one of them think they're right. And some of them think the other 39,999 denominations are going to hell because they don't have it right. The burden to get it right was never put on us by God. It's a man-made, I need a result right now. The burden that if you don't have it right in this moment and you might be struggling with an idea or a concept or a, a part of God or something that's happened to you in your life and you just can't quite reconcile it yet, the burden to make a decision about how you feel right now is so based in a hell and fear-based theology. And it never leads people to a good place as opposed to a gracious God that even when we're hiding from him and we'll only talk to him when no one's around and we wait till he's dead and gone, he still has space and time for us to finally come and say, here, I'm going to throw off my Sanhedrin clothes and say yes to you, Jesus. I know I waited too long. Now it's just your body. But I want to declare to everyone around me as I receive this body that you were the real deal. I got to end. I want to end with this. Be patient with yourselves and be patient with one another. And if somebody doesn't quite get it, give them space and time. And if you don't quite get it, we give you space and time here at this church to work through the process of understanding. As long as you're in the process, we will always make room for you. You stop the process, those three over there are going to kick you in the behind. But as long as you're in the process, we will always make time and space. Yeah. Does this make sense today? Good. Amen. We bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week. Okay.